everyone, and welcome to the podcast of English composer Andrew Downs. My name is Paula Downs, I am Andrew's younger daughter, and on today's show I am delighted to share Joe Seeger's interview of my sister Anna Downs about the music of Andrew Downs for the Recorded Music Club at the Birmingham and Midland Institute last Friday, May 17th, 2019. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Today, I'm pleased to turn the spotlight on the careers of a highly acclaimed composer and his family of very accomplished musicians. Andrew Downs is an internationally renowned composer, and he filled the leading role nurturing the talents of aspiring students of composition at the Old Birmingham Conservatoire. Several members of the Downs family have reached high levels of achievement in the musical world. It is fair to say that Andrew commands far more respect and acknowledgement abroad than perhaps he does in this country. Mm -hmm. And the feeling is that he probably hasn't been acknowledged sufficiently here. But there we are. He has made his mark in a very wide-reaching scale. It is an enormous pleasure for me that Anna, and for you of course, obviously, it is an enormous pleasure that Anna Downs is with us today to tell you about her father's enormously impressive musical output. So thank you, Anna, very much for being here. No problem at all. She will also be providing excerpts from some of his works. Now, Anna, your father's enormously diverse and extensive body of work places him among the most distinguished composers of his time. Please tell us a little bit about his background and his achievements. Absolutely, okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here to talk about Dad. We're a family that really, um, we all are for the cause of promoting my dad's music because we believe that he is a musical genius, really, and, and I, I feel strongly that often composers are better known once they've departed the earth, unfortunately, and I do feel that his time will come later on. But whilst he's still with us, we're doing everything we can to promote his music. So Dad was born in Handsworth in 1950 to parents Frank Downs and Iris Downs. Frank was a CBSO player. He also played for Sadler's Wells Ballet, Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra before becoming Head of Orchestral Studies at Birmingham School of Music. Dad was prodigious from the word go as a child. He never wanted to do what his dad wanted to do. For example, he wouldn't practice his scales. He preferred to improvise at the piano, much to his dad's disgust. So um, my dad had a beautiful singing voice. He auditioned successfully and travelled abroad and in the UK with Midland Voice Singers. He then went to Cambridge University as a choral scholar, despite not great success academically, but his music always took him through. So he was the first person from Aldridge Grammar School ever to go to Cambridge. He went there as a, a choral scholar in 1969. He then went to the Royal College of Music and studied composition with Herbert Howells. So that's a nice link there because obviously Herbert Howells was a great British composer, often underrated as well. So after he finished at the Royal College of Music, Dad did various bits of teaching in London and had a career as a singer for a while before his health got in the way, unfortunately. Then he got a job at Birmingham Conservatoire, which was obviously Birmingham School of Music at the time. He taught theory initially and then established the, very quickly, because he was only 25 when he started there, which is pretty young, he established the School of Composition. After that, he, in 95, he established the School of Composition and Creative Studies, 
and huge numbers of students have, have been able to, because of his pioneering thinking, go on and study music. In terms of his composition career, early success, the Marshes of Glynn was commissioned by Birmingham Conservatoire to open the Adrian Boltall, which of course, sadly, is no longer here. I mean, you've got, I'm sure you've got your own personal views on that. I think it's a shame that such a concert hall was actually only around for 30 years. But he wrote the piece, The Marshes of Glynn, for the opening of that. The hall was opened by the Duchess of Kent, I believe. He wrote it for the singer John Mitchinson and the Music College Symphony Orchestra. Then he's also written song cycles for the singer Sarah Walker and again John Mitchinson that were broadcast on Radio 3. He also composed in the early part of his career a service for the Three Choirs Festival. So early on in his career he wrote his first two symphonies and I think... I think this could be a big point. Yes. Point to bring some music in. Now. Yes. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play an anthem that he actually had broadcast on Radio oh, 3. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. This is Andrew Downs' anthem, In Peace I Will Lie Down and Sleep, for unaccompanied SATB choir, first performed on BBC Radio 4 on November 3rd, 1984, in the evening service by the Birmingham Conservatoire Chamber Choir under John Bishop, and subsequently broadcast twice on BBC Radio 3 in October 2012 by the choir of Winchester College, directed by Malcolm Archer. We are now going to hear the Chapel Choir of Royal Holloway College, London, under Professor Lionel Pike.
That was from a CD of sacred choral works by Andrew Downs entitled The Lord is My Shepherd with the Chapel Choir of Royal Holloway College London under Professor Lionel Pike. You can purchase this CD as well as WAV and MP3 files at andrewdowns.com. So obviously Dad was starting to establish him. I will refer to him as Dad because he is my dad. But you are not going to forget who I'm talking about, obviously. Um, by this stage, he was well established at Birmingham Conservatoire in the School of Composition and had started to set up the School of Creative Studies. So some of his notable achievements at that time in terms of composition was writing the Centenary Fire Dances for the Centenary of Birmingham, which was an amazing event, actually. I remember it because I would have probably been about 10, 11 at the time when it was first performed. It was performed in Cannon Hill Park, and there were somewhere between 40 to 60,000 people there. And it was performed by the Birmingham Conservatoire Symphony Orchestra and with a massive firework display, which was so incredible. And what was really amazing about that is the people in the neighbouring blocks of flats, you know, could have this fantastic yeah. view of it. Um, it's a real shame because that was performed for several years before the council, unfortunately, re-diverted it to the major orchestra in the city. And, and now it's a charged event. So that was a real shame. But the event was amazing, and I will play you some of that later on. Also, around the same time, his relationship with America began, and he was commissioned to write a sonata for eight horns, eight French horns. He wrote that for the University of New Mexico, and he travelled all over America seeing performances of that. He also, at around this time, so the late 90s, composed Fanfare for Madam Speaker for the installation of the Right Honourable Betty Boothroyd. Yeah, as Chancellor of the Open University. So his worldwide success was really picking up. He had attended his sonata for two pianos in Israel, which was recorded and broadcast by Bracha Aden and Alexander Tamir. His sonata for two pianos was then broadcast by the duo Scaramouche on Radio France Musique. And performances of his violin and piano sonata, which he wrote for John Bishop and Roger Huckle, obviously real well-known Birmingham musicians, I don't know whether any of you remember, there was a teacher of composition called John Mayer at Birmingham Conservatoire. He very sadly was killed in a road accident, stepped off the curb and, yeah, it was very, very sad. He was a great musician and violinist. He toured with that piece in India. So Dad got to see that being performed in Bombay and Calcutta. He then went on to write an oboe sonata called In the Gardens of Birdwine for George Caird. And that was before George Kerr being formerly the principal of the Conservatoire. And that was, again, toured around India. He then was commissioned to write a sonata for eight flutes. And, well, that was performed across Japan and Australia. So by the sort of mid-90s, early 2000s, there was a lot going on, especially worldwide. And lamentably, not anywhere near as much in Birmingham, which... You know, it's a theme I might refer back to. In 1998, his long association with the Czech Philharmonic began, which would eventually lead to his entire symphonic output being recorded by them. But more about that later. So what I'm going to do now, if it's okay with you, is play um, Centenary Fire Dances, which I referred to earlier. And this is the first movement.
That was the first movement of Andrew Down's centenary fire dances performed by the Birmingham Conservatoire Symphony Orchestra. You can purchase the WAV and MP3 files, as well as the CD, which includes the whole of centenary fire dances, as well as his cantata for tenor soloist, chorus and orchestra, called The Marshes of Glynn, at andrewdowns.com. You can read about the premiere and subsequent performances of these works on the blog of Andrew's wife and publisher, Cynthia Downs, also at andrewdowns.com. You can also read Andrew's own diaries of his travels, as well as talks he gave and radio interviews, if you go to about on andrewdowns.com. So that was movement one of the centenary fire dances. There's a movement that's Irish-inspired. There are other movements that have got other influences in them. It was about this time that Dad had set up the School of Creative Studies at the Conservatoire. So you can hear the world music influences there, and he was really passionate about world music at that time. And I think you can hear that in that music. I remember the Conservatoire students at the time, their joy on their faces as they were playing that, because there were like 14 percussionists required to play it. Yeah? Can I ask you, I, I got the Australian beat in that. Did you? Well, I, having heard the didgeridoos yeah, in Australia, yeah. I got the feeling Yeah, yeah. could he pick it up? Well, I mean, absolutely. Dan would always say that he writes music for people to take from it what they yeah. identify with. I mean, at that time, you know, his School of Creative Studies was encouraging students to explore all directions, and especially native kind of things like the, the didgeridoo and later on I will play you his concerto for Native American flute and there that really depicts those Native American influences and that was around the time that he was traveling to New Mexico to hear his sonata for eight horns so that was the middle part of his career. I think it must be said by now of course if you could all realize the wonderful influence and great international acclaim that he received and deserved and I think it's a sad reflection. Am I right in saying, Anna, that the CBSO has played but one piece of his? Well, yes. I mean, please don't feel that I disrespect the CBSO because I don't. I've actually been invited myself to play the CBSO on occasion because I'm a freelance violinist that we'll talk about later. And I know a lot of people that have worked the CBSO very successfully. But as a family, we have, my sister and I from a young age have really been passionate about getting his music out there and I remember my sister at the age of 12 I'm just going to jump in and say I was actually 18 turning up to a CBSO rehearsal with a pile of dad's CDs and passing was the right person and then we'd get some I believe from one very well-known conductor a very dismissive response saying this isn't the sort of music that interests me and that was it and and we've gone down the same line with subsequent conductors I have to say that now with the present conductor I mean I think she's definitely worth pursuing my sister now lives in Cambridge we're both you know mothers and very busy so that it is something that we are we continue to pursue but I do in a way as you've said it's a great shame but dad has moved on to such greatness in other ways and he's had his own battles with his health which I'll talk about that it kind of was I feel it's a travesty that it hasn't been grasped by the CBSO, and I know that you feel the same about another composer that's local I do to indeed. The, the late and much missed John Joubert was very much uh, out of favour, it seems, um, as a composer of this great city. Anna, that's so much to go on for so far, and we have more music to come. Um, you mentioned briefly there health hazards. 
Yes. There was a marvellous occasion in January this year to demonstrate in the most striking manner how Andrew found the means by which to commission the renowned Czech Philharmonic Orchestra to record one of his symphonies. Please, Anna, if you will, tell us how such a remarkable event came about. I certainly will. So obviously I've talked about his work. What can't be separated really is that from the age of 12, my dad's been disabled. So at 12, this would have been in 1962, he woke up on a holiday with his parents and was unable to get out of bed. Um, and he spent the next eight years being misdiagnosed, put in full body casts, the like, and they found out at the age of about 20 that he had the condition ankylosing spondylitis. Don't know whether any of you... Yeah, um, so because of the early misdiagnoses, the damage had been done. So from the age of, I mean, I don't remember him not being like this. From the age of his mid-twenties, he was completely rigid from the hips to the neck. Um, he was told he wouldn't work and that he'd be in a wheelchair by 30. As I've said, you know, he worked not only in his full-time job at Birmingham Conservatoire, he had this international composing career as well, because the thing about my dad is, he is the most resilient, tough person that you'll ever meet. You'll get the gist of that in a minute. So he carried on with his life through various degrees of pain, drug trials and the like. And we all adapted, obviously, because Dad could never help out with stuff around the house, and my mum took it all on. Um, and then at the age of 59, he got up one morning, went into his music room, his hip collapsed and he fell to the floor and very unfortunately broke his back because you've got no flexibility in your spine. It's like a, a bamboo stick. Unfortunately, the luck did not improve because he was made to walk down the stairs by the ambulance men. So there was no spinal board and they were not knowing how tough he normally was, you know, he was kind of screaming in agony. And he got to hospital and due to short staff issues, he wasn't x-rayed for 40 hours by which time he got a blood clot on his spine and when they eventually MRI'd him he'd lost the use of his legs he was taken to the Royal Orthopaedic had a six-hour operation and they said well if we'd have got to you in 12 hours you'd be walking but um, so he had this operation then he went to Stoke Mandeville for nine months um, and they did wonders with him what an amazing place then he came home and fortunately because we got lawyers involved. He did win a big compensation payout. And at the time, it was on the news. You know, if you Google it, there are a lot of coverage. So he got a payout, which allowed them to have house adaptations, and he has a 24-hour-a-day carer. He's wheelchair-bound. So by the time he was about 60, 61, he was, for a wheelchair user, he was in quite good shape. But since then, he's now 68. He's broken both legs has had to have further surgery on those. He's got burns from dropping drinks on himself and not feeling it. He's had a brain hemorrhage. He's got cirrhosis of the liver due to long-term medication use. He's had sepsis. And gosh, we always forget these things. And he's currently, he's had another fall and he's waiting for a scan at the moment. But you know what, he's the most cheerful person there is. And we've been at hospitals with him so many times and they've said to us, you need to prepare yourselves. And he's just, you know, no, you know, I'm not going anywhere. And he's, he's still with us. So we're very, and he's still composing. So since he had his liver diagnosis, he's composed his sixth symphony, which is testament to how he's determined he's going to make his 70th birthday, uh, which is in 2020. 
But going back to this, yes, with his compensation, obviously a large chunk of that money is for his care, but with what was left, he decided that to make a positive out of this situation, he would pay the orchestra that had supported him the most to record all of his symphonic output. So um, everything had to be done by Skype because he can't travel at all. So he collaborated with Andre Rabek from the, from the Czech Philharmonic and he conducted these performances and hired the Czech Phil and the Rudolfinium for about a week, I think. There was a documentary made about it as well, which was in our presentation, wasn't it? It was indeed. You can see the documentary about the making of the CD on the homepage of andrewdowns.com. So he now has this CD, which has got all of his orchestral music on it. And this documentary tells the story of how it's come about, but also how great the orchestra is, because Dad regards the Czech Phil as being the finest orchestra in the world. And having been to Prague to see them perform some of his music, I have to agree, it's like a different experience from anything I've seen before. So, yeah, it's very positive, really. So he's got this wonderful CD, this wonderful document of his compositional output in the symphonic sense, which we're also grateful for, really. You know... Having had the privilege and pleasure of knowing Andrew for many years, I can only bear out what a wonderful, strong person he is in his attitudes. I mean, anyone who has suffered so much disadvantage and illness and terrible setbacks has managed to survive his, keep his career on a very uplifting manner. So perhaps we should have a little more music now, perhaps. Yes, of course. This is Symphony Number 2, the Chamber Orchestra, performed by the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra, and it's movement number one.
That was the first movement of Andrew Down's Symphony No. 2, performed by the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra and Andre Vrabets on their CD of all of Andrew Down's symphonies and overtures, released by Artismon in 2016. You can purchase that CD at andrewdowns.com. I don't know how you feel, but in my estimation, that symphony deserves its place in any CBSO concert. Mm -hmm. Terrific. I was thinking in terms of Stravinsky or other literature, I don't know how much Andrew was influenced by other composers, but, but his, own, his own influence and his own interpretations were so marvellous in the remake. And the day, incidentally, that this presentation took place should have been far better publicised because it was wonderful. You had Andrew at his home in Hagley engaging via the links with the conductor, and you saw them engaging and discussing the programme and, and work and any adjustments. Yes. So he was talking to the um, to the conductor who'd got the score in front of him, who was also talking to the um, sound engineers who were, you know, at their mixing desks and they got all the screens and it really was, as you say. And there were live performances too. Duncan Honeyborn, formerly of the Conservatory, he played a sonata, did he not? He did, he brought, which I'll talk about later, actually. Yes, indeed. And we'll play some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, it was a wonderful day and there should have been far more people there, but there we are. I agree. <laughs> so, we've talked quite a lot about his influence as, a, as, as an educator. Mm. Is there any further enlargement on that? For the first couple of years after the Royal College of Music, he was a secondary school teacher. He was in incredibly tough inner-city London schools. And when he talks about what he achieved with the students, and these were in days when they were still copying out of books and, you know, copying sleeve notes off the back of records, what he was doing back in the early 70s was what now is taught routinely in classrooms where in schools that still have music, but don't get me started on that. Um, it's much more practical where they can improvise and they can, you know, express themselves through composition and being creative and collaborating with each other. So he was a real pioneer in that way. Then, as I say, he went on to Birmingham Conservatory. He eventually got the opportunity to run his own departments. And I work with a lot of his former students now in my own freelance work, which I'll talk about later. And they can't speak highly enough of him. He started them off on the right paths. You know, we've got recording artists, we've got conductors, we've got people who play in UK and worldwide orchestras, composers who've gone on and done great things, and they can only speak with great affection and admiration. Dad was an incredible rebel when he was at Birmingham Conservatoire. Uh, not hugely popular with management, but with his students, he was an absolute favourite. Um, and they all, you know, he keeps in touch with all of them on Facebook and they all keep in touch with him and, you know, check in on him to see how he's doing in terms of his health. And uh, it's absolutely lovely that there's such nice relationships still going on there. Which school did he go to? He went to Aldridge Grammar School. So he was born in Handsworth and then the family moved to Walsall. So he went to Aldridge Grammar. Yeah. Yes, so you see he is admired by those who have been, gained so much from him. Absolutely. And that will long, long continue. Long, long. I to say about 12 years ago, um, the Symphony Hall uh, had a, some peripatetic teachers. Yeah. And they went round the schools in Birmingham, one of which was my grandson's school. This is a primary school. Mm. And the staff got the children to write poems, verse yeah. stories. And they performed in the symphony hall. And your father put some of the verse and poetry to Yes, music. I played in that. 
difficult to learn and because of the world music rhythms and everything that he brings in they're really inspiring the work they are talking about is Andrew Downs Songs of the Skies more information as well as sheet music and links to lesson resources can be found at andrewdowns.com I think it's fair to go on to say that both of Andrew's daughters Anna and Paula inherited their father's gift for musical ability and are now well accomplished artists in, in their own right. Perhaps you might tell us that okay. not too much about <laughs> um, Well, first of all, I should say that obviously Dad's genes have gone into that, but my mum is also a fine musician in her own right. So I'll talk more about her shortly. But in terms of me, my mum taught my sister and I the violin from the age of about six, and she taught both of us until we got to grade eight. It was my mum, to be perfectly honest, who was the driving force behind us. So Dad wouldn't have cared less if we hadn't practiced. He used to come home from his demanding job and say oh you're not going to practice are you he couldn't stand he couldn't stand to listen to any more people practicing in the day but that kind of motivated us more dad sure you know um but it was mom who always used to sit through our practice and later on when we had different teachers she would take us to our lessons we also learned the piano paula then went on to specialize in singing and she got a choral scholarship to trinity cambridge and then she went to America for a while. She's got quite a decent career herself as a soprano. She sings with choral societies. She sang with the 16, with the Philharmonia Voices in London, and also with the Handel and Haydn Society in America. She now, she's got two young children, and her main job now is she runs my mum and dad's publishing, well, the promotion of dad's music. So she is the chief executive of their company, Linwood Music. And while my mum devoted 40 years of her professional life to that, and she did amazing, amazing work for my dad, getting his music out there, Paul is taking it on to the next stage, which is essential in 21st century Britain, and that is with the technology, getting everything online so that people can buy them and have them instantly, because that is what people want now. So she's taking that next step, and she's incredible that she really is. She's completely tenacious and works constantly to promote him. In terms of me, I went to Exeter University to study music, and then I did a postgraduate certificate in education and became a secondary school music teacher, as I've said, I'm director of music at Old Swinford Hospital in Stourbridge. However, I'm also a freelance violinist, so I studied with David Gregory of the CBSO, and Malcolm Latcham of the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. I regularly freelance with the English Symphony Orchestra, Royal Shakespeare Company. I've played alongside artists such as Russell Watson and Catherine Jenkins. Um, I give recitals about eight times a year with a local pianist, Tony Bridgewater. We do a lot of dad's music, actually. I also, in addition to that, I set up an orchestra in 2001 to promote Midlands composers. You know, obviously, I'm passionate about that. Uh, so not just dad, but his students, his colleagues as well. 
making sure that these living composers got performances of their pieces and to give high standard performance platform to recent graduates from the conservatoire. I gave that up in 2015 because I'd got two young children and a full-time job and I was playing. So I now run a professional chamber orchestra called Central England Camerata. I know, I know, everyone's like this about me. I am a little bit unhinged, I think. Um, but this orchestra is... <laughs> this Camerata orchestra is professional and we accompany choral societies and we also do charity fundraisers. We're doing one tomorrow, actually, uh, come and sing Warrior Requiem and also performing Celtic Rhapsody by Dad with Paula singing. And I also run a series, because I'm sure you all agree that the amount of homeless people on the streets these days is utterly shocking something i've always felt and dad instilled in me because as well as all his music dad's an ardent socialist and so i first became aware of homelessness in the 80s and it's as bad now if not worse than then and so i run a concert series they're free concerts two or three a month and people give donations to homeless charities it's called music for sanctuary and we've raised about £2,000 in a couple of months. So, so yeah, the musicians generally are professional. Some are community musicians. And everybody is just overwhelmingly in support of that. So, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I think you're going to do a little With uh, so many of your achievements and commitments. absolutely remarkable. Incidentally, I live in Sully Hall and at the lovely parish church, St. Alfred, you know, Wednesday time recitals, lunchtime recitals. And both Anna and Paula are due to appear there in the coming weeks. Yes. Well, are your first, are Yes, you? my next one is Wednesday, the 29th of May. And myself and Sony Bridgewater are performing. Wednesday. One yeah. ten, lovely homemade cakes and tea beforehand. Yeah, really nice. And yeah. one hour of music. Yeah, you usually pretty well attended as well, aren't you? have got Frank and you Anna didn't know the answer to this question, so I am going to chip in. Andrew Downs Symphony Number no. One for organ, brass, percussion and strings was premiered at the Cheltenham Festival in 1984 by the Birmingham Conservatoire Symphony Orchestra with Michael Haynes on the organ and conducted by Mark Foster. You can hear this symphony and find out more information at andrewdowns.com. I'd rather have your music than Harrison Burke's music. Oh, bless you! <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I think most people would agree with that. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So I was talking earlier about his world music influences and I said I would play his concerto for Native American flute. So this was influenced by his travels to New Mexico. He was completely fascinated by their culture. I remember my mum and dad both travelling there and they were bowled over by it. And this was written with a student of dad's at the time in mind who was a flute player but also played like the folk equivalent. So it's for Native American flute and strings.
was the first movement of Andrew Downs' Concerto for Native American Flute and Strings performed by the Central England Ensemble with Rebecca Massey on the Native American Flute. You can hear the rest of that work at andrewdowns.com. You can read all about the Native American influences on the music of Andrew Downs on the blog of his wife and publisher, Cynthia Downs, also at andrewdowns.com. In what? Taos. Where? Taos, in New Mexico. Oh, I'm There's a big arty column in there. You can kind of hear the planes, can't you, with the shimmering mm-hmm. at the start? Oh, yeah. We're almost drawing to a close. Um, <coughs> I don't know whether any of you would like to ask any further questions at all or any comments. Yeah, well, I have, because I thought this was going to be about Edward Downs. <laughs> ah. It's a coincidence that the two, they must have been 
born within a stone's oh. throw of each other. Well, yeah. Um, Edward Downs was a cousin of my granddad. Oh. So Frank Downs, who was the CBSO horn player, who was his distant cousin. But obviously, Edward Downs yeah. is no longer with us. In so you see what a great, great deal of prominence the Downs family yeah. provided for the musical world. Andrew in particular, I think, and we must also say very much thank you, Anna. Oh, no, no. For that bringing that to probably wider attention the great enormous gifts that the father has and will continue to provide, no doubt. Absolutely. For many, many more years to come. Did he stop going abroad if he got this long? Well, he he was travelling right until his accident in 2009. So before he broke his back, Mm -hmm. he was travelling, although it was becoming more difficult, I think. I mean, he can travel within the UK to a very limited extent. Yes. But uh, obviously, technology brings... Performances to yeah. him. So. And you can see what a wonderful family. Yeah. Did you not see that? I must just also say that oh, behind every great man is an even greater woman. And uh, my mum is the driving force. He yes. wouldn't have had 10% of the recognition that he has had without my mum. And obviously now my sister as well. But my mum is a force to be reckoned with. And thank you again. <laughs> and how grateful we are for Anna yes. for bringing yes. you Thank you. Thank you for finding the time to come and talk to me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I can always find time. <laughs> I think everybody will agree with, with, with to say what's what a very, very interesting absorbing yeah. how you've given us. Thank you. Um, I have in, in, the, in the past heard your father's music, usually at the conservatoire. Yeah. To my shame, I should have looked it up so I could talk to you about it. But, um, uh, it's quite obvious from what you've been playing. What, what are we missing? Yeah, well, and, uh, I, we all need to talk about it. Yeah, but thank you very much indeed for giving us your time. Thank you very much for inviting me, it's been a pleasure. So, another round of applause for you. Thank you.